And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, RB, Gene. Boys, another week, more gear news. But as always, we got to start it off with me checking in. How are we doing? Pretty good. Busy. I mean, you know, it's funny because we said it, uh, you know, these these summer summer months kind of get a little slower with equipment news, but it has uh, not been slow. And I think we're going to we're going to touch on a little bit of that pretty soon. We are uh, officially in the dog days of summer. Uh, it's coming into August. So and just Gene, I don't want to hear about the dog days of summer in San Diego. Hey, it's, it's, it's warm. It's, Is it 80 uh, degrees there? It's, it's 77 right now. Yeah, so, I, I you know, you so much. Oh my God. I actually had to put a sweater on because it was a little chilly last night when the sun went down. But other than that, you know, I'm, I'm warm during the day. So, I mean, you know, I know what you like guys, nine, it's like 90 like, degrees I, at night in, in Dallas right now. It's does, just does your, oppressively hot. Does your air conditioner just run 24/7 pretty much? <laughs> yeah. It's it's just nonstop. Uh, I don't even I don't even look at the air conditioning bill anymore during these <laughs> during these months. I'm like, oh, just forget it. I'll It's it's coming out of the account one way or the other, but yeah, it it, it is painful. <laughs> um anyway, as RB mentioned, there is a lot going on. And every it just feels like every every year we talk about this, it's like, when is it going to get quiet? When are we not going to have something to talk about? And and sure enough, Arby's laughing because I did. I felt like that. I'm like, God, this is it's getting a little bit quiet. You know, last week we we haven't even really talked about it yet. Last week we did episode 200 of Fully Equipped. Got a lot of positive feedback on our Mike Taylor interview. Thank you to those who took the time to listen to almost two hours of Mike T. But it is a fantastic interview. And if you hadn't listened to it, I implore you to go back and just like break it up. Like if you don't want to listen to two hours of Mike Taylor, you know, do 30 minutes, 30 minutes, another 30 and then finish it off. It, it is a really fantastic interview with, with one of the, the all time equipment goats. And he has so much to say. So anyway, that's, that's my plug for episode 200. Again, can't believe that we've gotten this far, but yeah, this is episode 201. And anyway, so there is a lot going on and the, I would say the hottest topic, and it's one that I'm sure people roll their eyes when we, when we say, cause we did spend a lot of podcasts talking about this and that was the USGA and the RNA and their announcement earlier in the year. They're, they're proposing, and this is, they're still in what they call the, the the feedback and notification phase, which is they're gathering feedback from the manufacturers and from players and, and from all kinds of people within the industry. Because what they're talking about trying to do is they're talking about putting in new testing protocols that would then essentially create a new MLR, model local rule golf ball. And the goal behind this ball would be to to roll back the, this extreme distance that we've seen in the professional golf ranks. So the USGA and the RNA make the proposal and, you know, they're not going to put it in place. The earliest they would put it in place would be January, 2026. So we've got a ways to go. And then sure enough with all of, and I do, I do believe that a lot of what transpired last week a lot of it has to do with what's going on with the PGA Tour and Live 
And I want to see if you guys agree. But after the USGA and the RNA make this announcement in March about new testing protocols and the possibility of a model local rule golf ball that, you know, they're for, for all intents and purposes, they're hoping that the PGA Tour is going to embrace this new ball. Well, the tour comes out with a memo to players from, from Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour. And it essentially says this. It says, uh, although there have been some levels of support for limiting future increases, there is widespread and significant belief the proposed model local rule is not warranted and is not in the best interest of the game. Following a discussion on the topic at a recent PAC meeting, we have notified the USGA and RNA that while the PGA Tour is committed to collaborating with them, that's important, and all industry partners, to arrive at a solution that will best serve our players, our fans, and the game at all levels, we are not able to support the MLR as proposed. So what they are saying is something that I can't believe that I'm going to give this man credit, but he's going to gloat. I know he will. But Uncle Gene brought this up as a possibility when we were talking about like what, what was going to happen with this new MLR and this new proposal. And sure enough, the PGA Tour has has essentially said thanks, but no thanks. So. I mean, what what is your initial reaction when you hear this, boys? I mean, this is I have to say it was a little bit surprising when when I saw the the tour come out with this in their memo, but at the same time, it's also not really that surprising. So I saw it as almost a foregone conclusion when the PGA live merger was announced. I think we talked about it briefly at that time, but there was so much madness going on in relation to that. My interpretation of what Liv is bringing to the game is the PGA on steroids. It's entertainment. It's 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 a lighter, more festive, inclusive um product. Now, you know, the reason the reason that I had the take that I did was the PGA is an entertainment product and it's jay wall you're a basketball guy you remember when there was discussions i don't know maybe 20 years ago 15 20 years ago about raising the rim to 12 feet because players you know were dunking too much and quickly the nba went what are we crazy do we want to dilute the we're not going to raise the rim to 10 feet because that dilutes the product rolling the golf ball back is the equivalent of raising the rim to 12 feet it just doesn't make any sense why you would dilute a product that is so popular right now so that was it was just kind of a intuitive sense they don't want to broke or they don't want to uh, you know, fix what's not broken. And it, it this is working right now. So why potentially damage it? So yeah, the, I think the live PGA mer- merger uh, accelerated that because entertainment is at its core what that um, new league is about. Is this where I'm supposed to say silent or just nod? <laughs> I was going to say RB. <laughs> like, it's like I'm looking at him. Like, did he freeze up? No, is he going to say anything? Does Does he no, not want to, um, co- you know, compromise himself here? RB, I'm surprised you haven't even interjected yet. No, um, I, I understand Gene's point of view. Like, I just I don't necessarily agree with it. <laughs> here I, we go. <laughs> and no, here's the thing. Like, 
But here's the, here's my reasoning behind it. All right. And that is, look, did I, did I, I will credit Gene. Yes, he was correct in, in predicting that this is, was going to be the case. And to be honest, I, I was probably short sighted thinking that the PJ tour would like immediately come out with the USG and RNA, but on the other side of things, just from a like overall perspective, players have like some of the most popular players in the world have come out and said, you know what, if the PJ tour isn't adopted, I'll just probably use it anyways. And, Yes, maybe that's just like grandstanding from someone like Rory's part. But John Rahm said it uh, at the Open Championship, not to interrupt you, but you know, John Rahm said that whether players liked it or not, this was going to happen. And this was before the tour came out with their with their recent announcement that they were not going to um they were not going to jump in bed with the USGA and the RNA and adopt these testing protocols in this MLR ball. So anyway, so you're exactly right. G- guys had sort of just resigned themselves to the fact that this was going to happen. And then, and then from that point, the idea that if you look at the, the, the four golf tournaments, get the best rank, the best uh, viewership all year is the four majors. It's not the PGA tour. Like no matter how much we care that, you know, two players are coming down the stretch at the three M or whatever, right? Like, or the John Deere or the Canadian open for goodness sake. Um, the, the tournaments that are the ones that are are most benefit are going to benefit from this potential rule would be the majors and they're the ones that are going that the players are most wanting to win players have said that so I think you know the PJ tour has come out and made a lot of decisions recently that have that have not made them popular and I think for Jay Monahan this is just a way to like push it down the road see what happens you know, like this isn't a threat. This isn't a threat. We've heard that one before from, you know, all oh, lives and it's just not going to, it's going to go away. And obviously that didn't happen. So I think at some point, and you know what, Eugene, you're right. Like there's, there's the entertainment product and then there's the product that the players most want to win. And I think, you know, if the, if the tour wants to go down this, this road of like just entertainment, like the golf, the golf fan, the core golf fan is uh, people who are like generally seriously enjoy playing the game. And I think that if this is the route that they want to go, they're going, it's going to happen at some point, one way or the other, or that, you know, they're just going to say, screw it, which is fine. But the majors are still the tournaments that most players want to win. And they're the ones that are aligned with this golf ball rule. And the PGA tour is, you know, it is what it is. So I mean, I, again, I, I don't necessarily not expect this looking back like hindsight 2020, but I still think at some point, you know, the way the players are talking tigers on the policy board, at this point, which was just announced today, you know, he's a very big fan of, of doing this for a number of reasons. So I think at some point this is probably going to happen, but you know, if the PGA tour wants to come against it, that's, they, they can do it. That's fine. I'm just, I'm just not going to sit here and like argue the point. Cause like, you know, you talked about it a lot and we got a lot of things, other things to talk about, but I just think that at some point this, the snowball's rolling downhill, just like the grooves, just like with a lot of other things. And I just did, a, I just did a piece on like things that have, have changed in golf equipment, whether it be like length of the driver or again, grooves or all these other things. So I think at some point it's going to happen. They can bite it all they want, but you know, it's an entertainment product versus the, the four tournaments that the best players in the world want to actually win. So it is what it is. Look, hey, Brooks, Brooks, if Brooks Kepka wants to say like, I played for the majors, five of his like 12 professional wins or something like that have come on in major championships. Cause he's like, yeah, these are just like practice. Well, go ahead. Practice with whatever freaking ball you want. If you know, show up and make sure you you fulfill your sponsor's request to go play so many tournaments on the PJ Tour and be on TV and go play the ones that really matter. Then go play the ones that really matter. It's like world championships or like other meets and sports. And then everyone wants to go to the Olympics. If the Olympics are the rules when it comes to track and field, and those are the pinnacle of the event, 
people are going to follow the rules that, that the Olympics are going to follow. So you, you, you raise an interesting point and it's kind of the, you know, the reason for this podcast is equipment matters, right? That's why we talk about it. That's why pros are constantly tinkering. tinkering. That's why amateurs are doing the same is our sport is one of the rare sports where equipment truly matters. Um, what I don't see workable in what, you know, you, you think could potentially happen is you can't play, you know, all but four weeks with one golf ball and then switch over to another golf ball. And it, it, you might as well just load up the field with hickory clubs, you know, and, and, and make it all equal. Meaning I just don't see how, a finely tuned athlete that knows their golf ball. And, you know, we've all experienced it, their level of like trust and um, belief in that golf ball is so critical to their performance. And then four weeks a year, switching over to another golf ball, that to me just sounds unworkable that it's, 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 it's an either, or it's gotta be. It's not, it's not unworkable. I, I think. Yeah, it I, happened years ago, right? There was the small ball and the big ball. Yeah, yeah, but you're you're comparing two totally but, different eras of you know levels of. But they didn't even have track. I think like, sorry, like I say they didn't have track man or any of these things, and they would go over there and they'd use this ball and they'd win the the event and they'd play great, and then they come back and play the big ball, and the only thing they did for practice was just pound pints and stuff like that. So like again, that's a, a bit of a gross exaggeration, but. Like, and they and they won two thousand dollars. I mean, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's just you know the amount of money and the amount. Uh, it, it, and I think ultimately, what it comes down to, even for the USGA, Augusta, it still is an entertainment product. That's what I go back to. And if they go to say a different ball and have really bad performance, and everybody's struggling with it, and suddenly ratings go down, guess what? Those are the main. I. I I think the first year, if you had my, my driving, no, I was gonna say, I think if the first year, if you had a, a new, uh, a model local rule golf ball at the U S open or the open championship, I think it would actually increase ratings because there's going to be, yeah. there's going to be a level of fascination there with watching these players try and navigate these courses with a new golf ball. So I think at least initially, I agree with Gene. I don't know long-term if it's the solution. I think there are a couple of couple of thoughts here. One, I think that this whole announcement would, would never have happened. One, I, I think the live PGA Tour merger, sure. But I think Jay Monahan is looking for some some goodwill with it with the players because I, I do think that he's uh, living on borrowed time right now. I, I don't really know what his future holds at the PGA Tour, but I I don't know. I think this I think this whole announcement because there were there were a lot of grumblings about the tour adopting this. So now Monahan says, look, we're not going to do it. We're going to collaborate. I don't really know how much of that is legitimate. Like, are they really going to collaborate with the USGA and RNA on this golf ball? I just can't imagine that they would want any changes to the golf ball. I know for a fact that there are several major like I will say top five, like the big five equipment companies. One of them told me that they scrapped a product line after the initial announcement was made in March because they just assumed that this was going to happen. And the products that they had were not geared for this new golf ball. 
So they were going back to the drawing board. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's tough because now there's a possibility that this might not even be a thing. I do think that Augusta probably holds a lot of the cards here. If Augusta adopts the the model local rule golf ball, it would be tough, I think, for the tour to be the only one that's not like the only game in town that's not adopting. I guess the PGA of America too. You'd need a PGA of America and you'd need, but if you have all the majors on board, I think that really puts a lot of pressure on the PGA tour. Maybe not, but I, I just I think when looking at where we're at right now, I think if you get all the majors to adopt the golf ball, I think it would be tough for the tour to not adopt it as well. I, I I did have an interesting discussion with someone who's associated with this. I'm not going to name who it is, but um, from the governing body side, and they told me something interesting. They, you know, so I stated my point and they disagreed with my point, but they said something really interesting. They said, this is looking five, 10 years in the future. And if the trend lines keep going, it's an attempt to just basically guarantee that golf courses are not going to be obsolete. And it actually caused me to kind of pause and consider. I still don't necessarily agree with the point. I personally think that unless we come up or allow some performance enhancing drugs that improve our hand-eye coordination to allow us to consistently control 190 miles an hour ball speed. I think that ultimately we will be limited just by the fact that we're humans. And I also, as I've said, I think that uh, rough growth and a risk reward after 300 yards, you know, to let those players to a narrow fairway they want to hit it 370 yards, let them, but they've got a 10, 15 yard, 20 yard landing area as opposed to a 40 yard landing area. I think those two are solutions, but it was interesting, uh, this perspective, because it caused me to think that if you do look at trend lines and I think he's South African, I was just watching a video this morning at the Scottish open, this guy, I walked up his name but he's got 194 miles an hour ball speed he challenged rory to a long drive at the range and they had it on tape and you know rory got up to 188 and it was impressive to watch but i also realized rory lives at about 180 he doesn't live at 188 because he knows 188 is too dangerous so i just i see it as being self-limiting ultimately just based on who we are as humans but you know I, I, the, the point caused me to reflect a little bit that if that trend line continues and if, if golfers can adapt to those higher club heads, speeds, um, it could be problematic for a lot of golf courses in the future there. How about that RB? I threw you a bone. Well, what what I was going to say, actually, you know, if you're, if you're swinging the golf club that fast, the one thing you want is control and a good way to get that (laughs) is with golf pride grips. Because well, golf probably well, knows well that the grip isn't just a grip. It Arby is a just key, wants to eject this conversation. I can I can support that. <laughs> it is a key piece of perform. It's a performance attribute of your your set of golf clubs, and it is the only connection that you have between you and your golf clubs. And when you have the right grip, when you have the right size, the right texture, the right shape, 
All of those things combining together, studies have proven that when you have the right grip, you are going to swing the golf club faster, more comfortably, and that leads to gained distance. And if you're talking about comfort with a grip like the CPX or the CP2, that means you can you can practice longer. Or if you're someone who who struggles with vibration in your hands and it causes uh, pain, this allows you to go out and play without that. So you get more enjoyment when you out are out on the golf course. Now, if you're someone who is swinging very fast and needs the ultimate in control, there are grips like the MCC or the Z grip, which offer a corded technology. Now, in the MCCs, for example, got cord in the top hand and a softer material in the bottom hand in your ungloved hand or traditionally ungloved hand. That way, you get that softer feel, but you get all of that control in the top of the grip. And, you know, when we talked about majors earlier, Golf Pride was used to win all four of the men's majors this year. Now, if you're looking to try some grips out, you can go to golfpride.com and use the code fully equipped. That is F U L L Y E Q U I P P E D. Again, that's over at golfpride.com for free shipping on your next order. That's available for all orders within the United States, and there's no minimum purchase required. So you can, you know, load up on all your favorite grips, or you can try a bunch of different options to see which one is best for you. So thanks to Golf Pride for the support, and we'll head it back to our conversation. You know, there was something that happened uh, this week at a, at a ladies' major. I think that might be kind of interesting too. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that before we get into the two product releases? And I don't know how how Callaway and Titleist <laughs> ended up releasing two major iron lines in the same week. That's just boggles the mind. But anyway, as as Arby mentioned, Nelly Corda. So beginning of the season, Nelly Corda, world number one recently. I guess she was recently crowned once again world number one, Nelly Corda. Signed a, I would say, a surprising deal with with TaylorMade Golf full bag. She's been playing uh, all the way through TaylorMade clubs, and then lo and behold, two rounds into to last week's Avion event, she shows up on the on the tee on Saturday with a Titleist TSR one driver, and. You know, if it was any other club in the bag, besides the driver, I don't think people would have noticed. But of course, it is the driver and, and Taylor made stone for, for their driver technology. And so everybody picked up on it. And it was this, wow, what's what's going on? Why why would Nelly switch drivers? And and then she shoots six, a bogey free 64 with the driver in the bag. Which just like, you're you're just fanning the flames now at this point. And even though she's tailor made through the rest of the bag, everybody wants to know about the driver. She didn't talk about it after her round, but RB, you and I were were kind of kicking around some some hype, you know, hypothesis here or there as to as to why she might have switched. What? Yeah, you you brought up an interesting one, and I want I want you to I want you to to talk about this. Well, first off, uh, shout out, uh, was, Gabby Hurdsey was the first one who had reported, I believe, on Twitter. So I'll give her the shout out. Um, you know, I know what I don't like when people don't credit me for like, you know, being the first to spot stuff. That is true. So I will, I will uh, be the first to credit someone else who who did point that out. And um, so, yeah, it was Saturday morning came through and it was like, oh, this is really interesting. Now, one of the reasons I think, and I looked this up because I was, you know, we, we've talked about it before when he, the tour used to go to Mexico City is elevation is such a huge factor now. Elevation where they were was about, I think, 1,200 feet above sea level, so not a huge, huge difference. But any small change when you're talking about players and, and players that are dialed in, that's going to be something where they might notice a slight variance in, in ball flight. But 
the, the thing that that like really stands out to me is this isn't something that it was just there. All right. When we think about the timeline of all of this coming into play, because there was an event a couple of weeks ago on the LBJ tour. Uh, I do not remember where it was. I believe there was one in Michigan not too long ago as well. So like, you know, they, they were traveling around a lot. This wasn't the, uh, this is kind of their stint in Europe because they're going to go here and they're going to have the, uh, the women's British open very soon. But she had to get onto a plane with her bag of clubs with this extra driver and bring it with her. So obviously this is something that she's been looking for or looking at for a while, because it's not like the event was in Florida where I believe where she lives and she can just like, Oh, send someone home to go grab the, the, the other driver. She had to put it in her bag with a different shaft, with that adapter on it, bring it across to France, keep it in her hotel room. And then on Saturday go, screw it. I'm using the other driver and then go out and shoot the best round of, I believe of the event and of, of her, of, of that day for sure. So best round of the season for. Yeah. Like, and I think, when we look at just inherently drivers across the board, and I know Gene, you you you're the one who does all the testing for us. And we have the numbers. Tailor drivers tend to come out relatively low spin, and the TSR one is not a low spin product. It is kind of a mid spin product, and again, you can fit these into different drivers. I mean, Zach Blair plays still plays a TSI one on the PGA Tour, so you know you can think about like certain players are. It's it's kind of the idea of when you fit somebody, you know, if someone's looking for more spin or less spin. The drivers are just there to pull levers for certain players. And obviously for Nelly, she wanted something that was going to possibly spin a little bit more than the stealth HD that she had. And that's to me, I think she was just, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I want to hit some more fairways. I want to do something. And I believe you talked, I think you talked about either she was interviewed, Jonathan, or she said that like, it was the idea of the new driver spins a little less and gets more rollout, which was the, we're talking about the Taylor. Yeah, that was, that was last year when I, when I talked to Nelly in Dallas and she had just recently switched from, from TSI one to TSR one. And the, the gist of the story was that she was, she was hitting it a long ways, but she wasn't getting a lot of rollout. And I know rollout is, is sort of one of those variables that you can't always predict, you know, depending on if you're playing firmer fairways or not, or, you know, you're playing on a day after rain, but she was just noticing that she had a really towering, launch angle on her driver and it wasn't allowing for for much rollout so she went to a driver with the the tsr one that gave her about a half a degree less launch and and probably around you know 350 to 400 rpms less spin so she was she was gaining you know roughly she said 10 yards of additional distance by going to tsr one so um i don't know i i do i kind of agree with what you were saying rb you know, maybe, maybe that little bit of elevation, maybe, maybe she was noticing something with her gamer driver. I don't know. It, it's, it is the reason it's so fascinating is because she didn't just show up on Thursday with that driver. Like she put it into play on Saturday, which leads me to believe that she saw something with her driver on the first two days that she didn't like. And so instead of continuing on with it, she decided to go to something else to see if that would help. Yeah. And again, I just think it's a it's an interesting thing for a player to switch mid, mid tournament, uh, and for her, she's you know, back to number one in the world. So it's not like she's been playing poorly, right? I just think maybe she's not playing up to her standards. She's not driving the ball up to her standards. So I get the problem with the LPGA tours. We don't have like um, a lot of solid stats that we can go off as far as strokes gained and things like that. But it is it's just an interesting move, and I think for for anybody out there who's like you know when they're looking at 
a driver or whatever it happens to be. I think there is that fine line of like what's working as far as maybe it's more distance or more accuracy. And again, I, we don't have stats to like say one way or the other. We know it's a damn good driver, obviously. Like, you know, Brooke Henderson went out and won her first event with a ta- like all table made product. So like, we're not here to like slag anything. It's just the idea of like what's working for one player might not necessarily work for another. And there must've been something within that club. that was just like, hey, I'm not, I need to, I need to change for where I am at this tournament right now. And she decided to make it. So, um, it's interesting. We'll see what happens the rest of the year when she comes back to the after the Open Championship and then comes back and, and finishes out the season. I think that's that's a key point. RB is what does she do going forward? You know, does she does she just say, "Hey, I've got trust in this Titleist product versus the TaylorMade product," um, or was it situational or course specific for that switch? Or, you know, I mean, could even be potentially weather specific, but I doubt that. But it seems to me that's more of a trust thing that, you know, this this was working for her. She doesn't trust this. She's going back. And it's a little spooky for TaylorMade because, as we said, the driver is the key club in the bag. And while the LPGA doesn't get all of the oxygen that the PGA now live does Nelly does. She, she's, you know, she generates and we're talking about it. And so that's, that's something that they're not happy with the tailor made right now. And so I guarantee you they're working furiously to try to figure out how to solve that. Um, but it ultimately comes down to the player. I'm sure she probably had something in her contract that allows her to, you know, not have to put this into play but you know you've got money you've got pressure and then you've got the desire to win and it'll be interesting to see how that order plays out you know going forward yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see how it, how it plays out because this time next week she'll be a couple of days away from the first round of the women's open last ma- last women's major of the year so i know that she's i know that she's probably trying to find the best possible setup and if that's with a with a title striver for the next couple of weeks so be it but I, I agree with gene i think you know she's she's looking for the best possible setup and maybe she gets a tailor-made driver that works between now and then but i i wouldn't be surprised if she just decides to play with what's working and if it's the title striver for the moment great and then she'll figure it out after the women's open but um that's kind of where I'm I'm headed right now is I think I think she's probably gonna stick with the titleist. Anyway. All right. Speaking of Titleist, Titleist and Callaway both released new irons. And again, I I don't know if they I, I'm sure they don't talk. I don't think manufacturers talk about when they're gonna be doing embargoes because I know that there have been a couple of times when Callaway and Taylor may have released major Metal Woods launches on the same day and yeah, they try and get yeah, they're trying not to launch on the same day, but the same week. <laughs> and they're both like better player products. I just it's like you have all summer to do this. I, I get that you're trying to launch it going into the fall, but come on, man. Really? T series and Apex. I mean, th- these are these are flagship products for I mean, they're not they're not just some throwaway middle of the year launch that they're just trying to generate a little bit of revenue and and some interest. I mean, apex is, you know, if you go back and you look at the, the players distance category 
Apex was one of those irons that helped define players' distance. Along with, you know, you've got TaylorMade and and their P790, and you know, you you have you have a lot of these irons. You look at T series, you've got the T200 that they came out with. So there there are some irons in here that are are very important to a lot of golfers because they fit large swaths of the the golfing public. But yeah, here we are. Why don't we kick it off and we'll just do a quick rundown on T-Series because we do have somebody who's far more knowledgeable about T-Series than than any of us are. And that's uh, that's Marnie Eines, who's the Director of Product Development for Titleist. And he's going to... I interviewed him recently in Dallas and he gave me a full rundown. I tried, I, I tried to keep it away from the nuts and bolts just because I know if you want to see those, just go to golf.com. RB has a great write-up on T-Series. So we tried to keep it to, to more of the interesting stuff that that only Marnie would would know about when it comes to these irons. But what's what's the one thing that stands out to you, RB, with with T-Series? I think for the, for the T-Series, it's uh, obviously the story, the big story is feel and the way that they, they went about designing the irons to be a little more cohesive from club to club. And I think the standout, which I think a lot of people are looking at, is the 150. The 150 is the tweener between the 100 and the 200. It's going to re- replace the 100s, correct? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. from from a specs perspective, it's exactly the same, but it's bigger. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit faster. Uh, so it's slightly wider, and it's for those players that want the performance of the T100, but want something that's a little bit more confident, inspiring. And I think there there was probably a little bit of a disconnect because it's like people are looking at the T100 and 100s. It's like what really is the difference other than the lofts and like ball speed wise. And it didn't, I don't think it separated itself as much for the average player looking at them on the wall and being like, the, you know, I think I say the wall of like a golf store or looking online, it's, they kind of look exactly the same. And the idea of separating them a little bit more for players that want that ability to, to go in between clubs and, and have either for, for comboing, which is a big, obviously a huge trend. It's been a trend for years now, or to just have something that like for myself, I like the 100. I played the 100S before. And when I got fit, I got fit into the 150s because it was something that helped launch a little bit higher, offered a little bit more ball speed, but also offered that little bit of extra forgiveness as well. I think a lot of players who want, you know, again, slightly bigger package, but more technology, but it's still in a player's shape. That's the one that really stands out. And then the other one too, which I think is actually really cool is the 350, which I think is a massive improvement on the 300. The, the, the 300 it, it's, was- it looks really good, I, I have to say. I mean, you and I have both already, we both tested the the T-Series lineup. The The couple of things that stood out to me for those that, that are going to be looking hard at the T-Series or going out to test them. And oh, by the way, we have product going to Gene to test because I want to see how these all perform on the robot in addition to the, to the new, to the new Apex. So we'll have some, some robotic insights coming soon, but the, the big takeaways, one, the T200 I, I know that some people were complaining about the badging on the back was falling off. The this T two hundred is oh so much cleaner than than the previous version. The look of the T two hundred at address, I couldn't tell you, and I'm I'm pretty good at like noticing little subtle differences. But the T one fifty and the T two hundred look almost identical at address. Maybe a slightly thicker top line on the T200, but it's not that noticeable. And offset, almost identical. They sound a lot like the the, the 150s. 
So they got away from the clickiness that that a lot of people didn't like with the previous T200s. I think that's going to be a great thing for people that really prioritize sound at impact. Uh, and then the, the, the 350s, I actually ended up, here's a funny thing. I, I went in and I thought, okay, I don't, I, I'll hit the 350s, but I'm probably not going to end up with a 350. And I ended up with a 354 iron that I like carry like 235 in the air. It's a, it's a really fun golf club and it's, I, I still can, I mean, I'm, I'm a single digit handicap, but I loved the look of this golf club at address. It's got a little bit of extra beef, but it's not too beefy. It doesn't feel like a, like a 400 or a 300 series. It, it, they've really cleaned it up. I could see, I could see this becoming like a popular option for, for a handful of guys on the PGA tour, like a T350. Peter, Peter Malnati had a combo set in the bag. And I think what's interesting for Titleist is they've got the, the T200 utility build and the 505 utility build, but they don't have this for the 350. And I think at some point it probably will be an option in, in, for some players, or it's just going to be something where some, they'll, be, they'll be able to offer it through custom because it is a it is a nice-looking combo set. And I think for some players that want that, they're, they're going to benefit from it because it is. It's just it's the T200 beefed up and made slightly more game-improved without a huge amount of offset. So... I think overall it's a, it's going to be a, a big win for Titleist across the board. And they have, again, they have the U505, which for players that don't like hybrids, it's so weird because hybrids have, hybrids for a long time were so popular and they still are. They still fit a, lot, a number of players, but they've either gotten so fast that they have to dial them back or they've, they're like really game improvement golf clubs for, and better players aren't going to use hybrid. They've gone more towards something like we'll talk about with the UW from Callaway. Or they've gone to higher lofted fairways, which have just become ex- kind of ex- really popular again. So it's it is that that third option for players that want the the hybrid like distance, but want something that looks like an iron. And I think from a from a bag composition perspective, they've really got it to fit someone from all the way to your twenty plus handicaps, all the way down to obviously a tour player. So it's uh, it is a very comprehensive line. And I think it's going to be a big winner. Yeah. So if you want all the all the nitty gritty details. RB as the we're we're trying to trying to make it a little bit easier on everybody who comes to golf.com to consume product content because again, as I mentioned, everybody, everybody meaning all the major outlets are all writing these these write-ups on the new products. And if you want the if you want the details on like specs and all that, like go to go to the manufacturer's website. I don't feel I don't feel like I don't feel bad saying that. That's what it's there for. So uh, we're going to try and start doing these these more easily digestible five things where we're going to hit on like the high points for these products and and kind of get get you in and get you out so that you know what's going on and if you want to learn more you can you can go over to the manufacturer site. So hopefully that plus we'll still have robotic insights and and we'll go through our own testing in, in our in our proving ground series. So we'll have all of that to to kind of add as as additional content, but we're, we are going to try and get away from doing these like basically regurgitation of a press release. And I think the reason it helps players too is like we encourage you to go get fit. So to have specs of line goals and all those things, it's not like super helpful. And for us, you know, we've experienced both going through and, and figuring out like how a combo set would work for us based on the line. And I think for a lot of players too, it's it's the best way to go. So again, we we have this more digestible, easy to understand like way of pretty like introducing information to people but if you want the nitty-gritty as far as your specs if you're like a spec nerd and we know there's a lot of people out there who you know they dig into horsepower of cars and 
stuff on cameras and all like watches and all kinds of things like that. Everyone kind of has their own little niche. And for those people, I think if you want to dive into the really nitty gritty stuff, it is the best place to go is to the manufacturer website because they have so much information and all these different things. And our, and our goal is to make it again, as easy as, as possible to understand. So we're going to have that on the, on the Titleist one, as well as there's already some stuff up on, on the Callaway as well. Yeah. So as RB mentioned, the, this T-Series lineup is designed for, for mixing and matching. So you might end up with three different models in the bag. I mean, a lot of tour pros are going to end up that way or, or two, but I would, I would be shocked if you end up with just one model straight through the bag. Most, most are going to look for more forgiving long irons at the top of the set and maybe a bit more workability down at the bottom. Anyway, so there is the T-Series lineup from Titleist and then Callaway has their, their new Apex line. And as RB mentioned, there's also a new Apex UW, which is like a cult favorite. But the Apex line consists of an MB, a CB, and then the Apex Pro. And, you know, these are the irons. Big surprise, these irons were designed with direct feedback from guys like John Rahm. Um, uh, you know, if, if you're, you're going to design irons for the best golfers in the world, you're going to want to have their direct feedback on the development of these. So um, I think they look really clean. And that's something that that I've noticed from from a lot of manufacturers. I could even I'll even say like the Titleist, the T series, which has also had a really clean look in recent years. But it just feels like the overall look of irons from all manufacturers, it seems to be going to more of this minimalist look. Less less of like the flash and just more of the, you know, let's just get down to to like the meat and potatoes of it and like show you that like this is a great looking iron. It has tech inside, but it doesn't have to look flashy. It can it can look understated. And I as as a minimalist, I appreciate that. Well, you know, I, I do appreciate stuff that like is very minimal, but you know, for those who who happen to maybe watching this on a video or seeing a video clip of this, something that I like that's actually quite flashy is this Cali Golf uh, polo that I'm wearing right now, which has a really nice print on it because have to let you know before we get into these Apex irons that uh, Fully Crit is also brought to you by Callaway Apparel because Callaway does, Callaway Apparel does one thing. They do golf and they want to make sure that you're outfitted with the right style, the right comfort and the performance that you want when you're out on the golf course. And speaking of performance, Callaway Apparel is made by Perry Ellis. So you know this stuff is absolutely packed with innovation and that includes things like swing tech, which puts more stretch in the seams. So as you're making your golf swing, you don't feel like you're constricted. You've got OptiDry, so you get that moisture wicking. You've got UV sun protection. And, you know, like I said, I'm currently wearing one of their really nice printed shirts. Actually, the funny thing looks good on you, RB. I got to say, I like that this one's one. really clean. The thing that hey, I like I'm wearing about one too. I'm wearing one too. They're really comfortable. I like them. The thing that I like about it is the collar. Like, yeah. again, I'm wearing the polo right now. I'm wearing one of the, the high print collars. It almost like they have the way that the collar is designed that it has like these little stays. Now they don't have solid stays. So it's not like you feel like you're getting poked or anything when you make a golf swing. But it's nice that the collar holds its shape because I you hate don't get bacon collar. No. And I like, look, I wear a lot of like cotton polos when I travel just because it's something that I put on and it's something that it's just, it's easy and it's, it's single color and all this stuff. But when I like want to look good and I'm going out and playing golf, I want the collar to look good. And I hate going in and grabbing a shirt and it's like, ah, you know, I could wear it, but I, you know, I got to go someplace nice today. Like I want it to look good. And I think with the Cali polo that I'm wearing right now, which again, this is actually really cool. At first, when I, when I got it, I thought it was, um, I thought it was swans. It's actually a flamingo print. So there's, there's a lot of cool prints that they have going on. Uh, and this is one of them. And again, if you like something that, that looks nice, dresses up really well, but also 
allows you to be a little flashy. You can get that with a lot of their line. And you can find all of this over at CallawayApparel.com. Not only do they have, you know, we have, we talked about a lot of the men's stuff here, but they do have a collection for women as well in all kinds of different styles for all kinds of different body types. So no matter what, if you're a man or woman looking for some cool gear, you go to CallawayApparel.com, use code C-A-L-F-E-20 for 20% off your order. And, uh, you know, again, I'm talking polos, I'm talking cool prints, but they got a lot of stuff there, including weather gear, shorts, and kind of everything in between. So check that out over at CallawayApparel.com. There we go. And we won't go too deep on Apex because, again, RB has the five things where he hits the high points. But the one thing that I do love about what Callaway is able to do, and I, I know they were one of the first to em- fully embrace AI, but this ability now to have the you know a full set of clubs, but as you go down through the set, you're going to have these like higher launching, more forgiving long irons and then getting into more of like the like feel and control and workability and the, the scoring clubs and like the way that they're able to to allow AI to kind of help craft this like very specific recipe. I love that. It It's again, we've talked about like technology that's going to help shape the industry. I, I think we're already seeing it with AI, but I just think it's going to like really take hold of a lot of the manufacturers going forward. I think the big thing with the, with the line again, so when we talk about with Titleist, and I think Cali does a, like a ridiculously good job with this. Is a cohesiveness from the MB to the CB to the the actual Apex iron itself, and then into the the utility, the UT, because there is this desire to have things that that look similar in someone's bag. And I think in previous, and the, the only company that really doesn't do this is Ping. Now their Ping players do combo a lot of their their sets. But we haven't seen this like this very specific like combo. I think I think Ping does a really good job making the longer irons of certain clubs more forgiving and the shorter irons uh, a lot more compact. They do a good job with that, but they don't do this this whole comboing thing. But they do have crossovers and all this other stuff. So it is just one of those ways that they can allow a player to pick and choose. You also see it as well as the prices are the same. So whether it's the Titleist or the Callaway, like you're not like, oh, I'm going to get nickel and dime for another couple, like 50 bucks because the long iron has more technology. No, it's all the same through the whole set, which I think is is you know beneficial to the to the consumer at the end, at the end of the day. So, I mean, they look really good. <laughs> if I'm being like really honest, I think the Callaway, both Titleist and Callaway make like their irons look really good. And I think right now is an interesting time to release product. And I think the reason for it is if you think of most of the better players these are targeted at, a lot of tournaments for club golfers are kind of taken place already, right? The end of the summer, there's not too much stuff going on at clubs or maybe you'll get a member guest or something, but a lot of those have take kind of take place when the course is like great prime middle of summer. And so this is where they can start introducing them. Players are going to start putting them in the bag. And then, you know, next year they're kind of ready to rock with them, which I think a lot of, which is why as fitting centers, we encourage people when they get fit to go, fit while you're swinging well, right? If you can, right? It's hard to get fit in January if you haven't swung a club for two months. So if you're pitting the ball well, it's like now's a great time to go be fit. So I know what my, my specs are and everything for when I go to order my new set, whether it be in three weeks when they're available, or if it is, you know, I'll wait till the end of the fall when I want to actually order for in, into the next year, which I think is why the timing is the way it is. I, the, I know that, but I just, I think like, let it breathe, man. Like, I know that's just, the thing. I just like, just release one, let, let Titleist like flip a coin. Callaway, Titleist, you get, you get first week in August. 
the whoever else loses the coin flip gets a second week. But they are just they're both such great iron lineups that I I just wish that they were being released in the same week. It's Barbieheimer. That's what Nobody it is. Cares. It's Barbieheimer. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Who's going to exactly buy both right. sets? Well, we can't. We, I mean, we can't. We can't, uh, <laughs> we can't say someone go, won't do it. Go go out and test them. The, the the other cool thing about the Apex that I did want to point out before we wrap and go to the interview is that these have a pre-worn leading edge, and we've seen uh, Shrixon in particular have a lot of success with that pre-worn leading edge on their on their ZX, RB, their irons, the five and the seven. So I. I'm really curious to hear what people think about like the overall look of these, but also the turf interaction. And if you do get a chance to hit these like soon, I, I seriously, I'm, I'm not joking. I want you to, to shoot me a DM or an email and let me know what you thought of the, of the overall look and the turf interaction. So there we go. All right. As I mentioned, we have an interview this week with Marty Eines he is the director of product development for Titles Irons. He takes us through the entire T-Series lineup. A lot of really fun nuggets here if you are considering T-Series, or maybe you're not and you're just curious about it. Marty does a great job breaking down the entire line. It's a great interview. Enjoy it. All right. Well, I just went through one of my favorite times of the year. That would be product testing. And it looked Irons for me, one of my favorite parts of my game. I don't have a whole lot of favorite parts because I struggle in many areas. But when it comes to irons, I always want to see what's out there just to see if there's anything that's going to help benefit me. And I got a guy across from me who helped design a set of irons, an entire lineup, I should say, that is going to impress a lot of people out there. That's a new Titleist T-Series lineup. I got Marnie across from me who helped bring it to life. And I got to tell you, Titleist has done a lot of really cool things in the product design space. If you go back and you look at the last five years or so, you've got ATI, that face that they have on their metalwoods, that, you know, in my opinion, has really changed the game as far as distance is concerned. But then you look at the irons, which, you know, Titleist is known for their irons, but they've done a lot of innovative things in that space recently, which is why I've got Marnie here to talk about it. And I got to ask you, Marnie, what is, what, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy when the product comes out and you get to hear people's feedback on something that you've spent years helping bring to life? Or is it more fun for you and enjoyable being in the weeds, helping kind of craft it and bring it to life? And I know there's a lot of, a lot that goes into that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because, you know, when, when the product does come out into the marketplace to see the response that people have to the product when they get to experience it for themselves for the first time. Um, that is certainly something that's very, very enjoyable for me to see that. Um, especially like I could, I can remember one time when we had the, uh, concept irons, right. And like the CPO two product was one in particular, which was a very interesting product because it looks like a blade, but it's got everything, you know, but the kitchen sink, you know, thrown into it in terms of trying to give performance in such a small package. And the response that players had to that when they hit it, their expectation of what they would see versus what they saw Mm. um, coming out of the performance of that club was, yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, 
on the flip side, uh, as far as engineering challenge goes, I am an engineer. So when those challenges um, are overcome, I mean, there is certainly a lot of enjoyment that comes through that. And that happens with every, every generation of product. So it's kind of a tie. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So you, you mentioned concept, which always um, takes me back to just, for those that don't know, concept was the, the concept car design the titles came out with, they came out with it in the woods and also in, in the iron space. How much has, has concept helped shape the future of, of irons that have come out in recent years? It felt like that was really the moment where titles started really to think outside the box. How much has that really helped kind of me, maybe even help shape what we're looking at here, which is the, the new tier series lineup? Yeah, it, it's huge, right? Um, it affords us to look at materials and platforms and to create new processes to develop golf clubs that we wouldn't necessarily be afforded in our in our normal space. Um, and if you look at it with the Max Impact technology, that actually, not many people know this, that actually was slated to be a concept iron. Was it really? Yes. That technology was slated to be in a concept iron first. However, all of us got together and when we saw what we created, we said, hey, this has to get into the market product as soon as possible. So we brought it forward. And again, another challenge when someone says, yeah. hey, something that <laughs> you, you don't have a timeline for now has a timeline to get in, you know, fall of whenever it was, right? Um, we overcame that challenge. And again, it was, that was a cool thing to do. So something that Titleist does differently than a lot of equipment manufacturers is you go on a two-year product life cycle. And that's not just for, for irons, it's also for the metal woods as well. What are the benefits that that you, as somebody who helps bring these products to life, what are the benefits that come with having that additional time to help let, one, let the products that you've already created breathe, but also give you time to bring these next products to life? Yeah, it gives us a little bit of breathing room, I'd say, <laughs> right? Um, because it still is challenging, even with two years. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of that is that we are able to get some feedback on our products, right? So through events like this, through events like uh, we have with our fitting partners, um, all the early fittings that we do with this product, the responses we get, we're also looking to get feedback about our products. So starting with the tour launch. So with the tour launch, we're looking to get feedback on that product immediately because we're actually months into the 2025 product already, right? So you have a small window where you can affect changes in your product from when you put it out publicly mm -hmm. to when you're locking down the next design. So that to me is one of the biggest benefits of having that, that longer period is that you actually have some time to get some feedback and do something about it if you need to for the next generation. So let's get into the irons here. So you start off with the T100, which is, you know, it's the most played iron out on tour. You know, if you look in the bags of title of staffers, that's the one that you're more likely going to see there. Um, but I heard an interesting story about this T100. You were, you were given some pretty specific constraints. You know, it was like, hey, Marnie, we want you to do this and this and this, but don't change this. I mean, that's t 100 is the smallest profile. I mean, how difficult does it make it when it's like, hey, here's what we want you to do, but you can't change these things? 
Right. I mean, it makes it obviously more difficult than if you didn't have those constraints. And um, when they say, hey, can you make it feel better? Can you make it more accurate? But by the way, you can't change you know, anything about the size and shape of it. Um, it forces you to be creative. It forces you to have those brainstorming meetings and dig deep to find what it is you can do, um, especially with feel, right? I mean, feel is something that we've we've come to learn a lot about and have a lot more to learn, obviously, but to improve uh, upon what I would have considered our best feeling iron already, right? That's a that's a big challenge, and to do it, you know, um, to do it well. But I, I talked about earlier having uh, access to our tour team and getting feedback from them, um, being able to get those first couple prototypes out on tour and get the feedback from the players using T100 was very important. And when we did that, we put the first couple prototypes out there and it was 10 for 10 that the, one of the new prototypes felt better than their gamer. So, I mean, that really gave us confidence going in um, that we were on the right track. So one of the things that, that changed with this it's a really subtle change that um, I felt it today out on the out on the range as I was hitting. Just the way that that golf club goes through the turf just feels a lot smoother, more consistent. And I know that you all softened the leading edge. Where where did that idea come from to to just make this subtle change to the back side of that leading edge so it isn't it isn't thinner. It actually is a little bit thicker. If you were to kind of put the previous T100 next to the current one. But it's, again, a really subtle change that makes a big difference. Right, it's, it, we, we call it the trailing edge, right? We soften the trailing edge of, of the sole. And um, yeah, it's it's such a subtle change, but the most sensitive players are picking up on it, right? And, and the way I like to describe it is that it gives you more fluid um, feel through the turf, uh, more fluid turf interaction. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, came from tour. Uh, JJ and Aaron always talk about, you know, hard edges on the sole are like blue cheese and that you do not, or sorry, you either hate it or you love it, right? And it's so, an either or. There is right, no in between. Right. And so we don't want anybody hating anything about our golf clubs. So I said, well, why not remove it, right? And for the most sensitive players, it's, it's turning out to be a positive as well. When, when we posted initial photos of the new T100 from Memorial, one of the things that a lot of people picked up on was this thickened back bar. It, it looked more pronounced. The iron, again, profile still looks really compact, really thin, but it looks like it's thicker. What's, what's the benefit of going to this thickened back bar now? Yeah, so between the back bar and the upper cavity thickness and the lower cavity thickness, that allows us to change kind of the span of the face between the heel and the toe and the center. And all of these allow us to, you know, even out the, the distance uh, consistency across the face. And at the same time, we're also looking at that to manage the feel that we talked about earlier, right? So by changing those thicknesses in the upper lower cavity and the bar across the face, that changes the frequencies at which the face or cl overall club head vibrates which then translates to better feel. So with the T150, this is, you know, people are gonna see the name, they're gonna say, oh, a new iron. It, it, there's a new name on the iron, but it's still fitting into that T100S gap, which is a little bit stronger, you know, for that golfer that, that wants a, a bit more distance, but maybe they don't wanna get into, a, you know, 
a T200 or they're they're not in a T100, the you know the standard version. But this one has an interesting story because then the name AP2 comes back in with this one. It does. I mean, I set it down. It, it's got a, an AP2 profile, and that was, I guess, a big reason for making some of these changes. Was feedback. A lot of guys liked that that old AP2 shaping, and and were asking if you could maybe bring that back into this new T150. Right, right, and it, and you you hit the nail on the head there with with AP2, because AP2 in its original conception was not a tour iron, mm-hmm. right, and so. When the decision was made after it became popular on tour to say, hey, what else to, would the tour want out of this iron? That's when more of the profile changes started to come into play, right? So with T100, you know, started to slim down the top line and give a profile that a tour player would want. And so now if you come into back to T150, right, which started as T100S, T100S was the exact same profile as a T100. So for someone who's looking for a little bit more pop, maybe a little bit more forgiveness out of the iron, maybe it didn't exactly give them the look that they wanted as well, right? So we had some from feedback from players who liked AP2 said, from a dress that product looks a little bit more forgiving, gives me a little bit more confidence there. Um, can you thicken the top line a little bit? That's where you know thickening the top line on this product came in. And of course, as the engineer, you say, well, we're going to add weight up top. Can we th- can we widen the sole a little bit as well to to mitigate that that weight? And we did. So there's some benefits there too, with thickening up the top and getting a little bit more width in the sole. I imagine it's just a bit more stable than the previous T100S. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you a little bit a little bit more bounce, you know, effective bounce, and um, definitely changes the sound and feel a little bit too, especially with the top line change. For the better, I will point out for those that are listening that haven't had a chance to, to look at these irons, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. It's so it's so minimal. The differences between the one between 150 and the 100. I mean, that's and that's what I appreciate is that when when people hear that it's you know it's thicker, it looks like you know a little bit more like that AP2 profile. Some people might go, "Oh no, is it is it that much bigger?" It's not. It's it is it is very subtle. And speaking of subtle. This is one of the coolest things, and I'm so glad you pointed this out. So if you if you look at this iron, the T150, in that back cavity, you're gonna see an area that's been taken out. You mentioned it, what is it with a with a blade that you use to to create this little channel right. back behind the face. And I don't think I realized how much effort went into creating this because not only do you have to find a way to to get that little channel in there. But then, oh, by the way, you have the top line, which kind of comes over. I mean, you're laughing because you had to work on this. I mean, this is this is not difficult. And and not only that, but you managed to find a way to get it closer to the face than the previous. Like, kind of walk walk listeners through like how difficult this is to make these small little refinements to something that makes such a big difference. Yeah, I mean. Unless you're doing what we do, I, I guess you just don't, you just see a, you know, a channel back there and you're like, oh, no big deal. But yeah, because of how tight that, that space is, the angles that which you have to get to in order to create that, um, that channel, you need special tools, right? So you need special cutters, you need special machines to be able to machine those channels in at the accuracy that you want. 
um, to place it as close to the face as possible. Um, so it is a CNC process. However, yeah, you're not using a normal cutter. You're using what's called a T-cutter or, um, you know, uh, uh, well, it's most commonly called a T-cutter. But that's certainly something that, with multiple passes as well, is something that's not easy to do. Um, and, you know, we're just looking to make it better each and every time, yeah. right? More consistent. Also something that you made better, no, no more polishing to the face. Correct. Correct. Which is, you know, again, people probably shrug. And, and look, the, the reason that we do this podcast is to get into the, the nitty gritty stuff that when you pick up an iron and you look at it and you go, oh, what's different? It looks, it looks very similar to the, to the previous one. And it's like, there's a lot going on with these, but, but just talk about the, the benefits of not having to polish the face anymore. Yeah. So by not polishing the face, you're not coming back and you're not creating small inconsistencies in either the flatness or the groove profile, right? The groove radii at the top of, of each uh, groove. And so when you can eliminate that polishing step afterwards, when you machine the grooves in, it's perfect, right? It's, it's as perfect as it's gonna be. Right. The face flatness is gonna be as perfect as it can be because it, you just finished with the machining operation and not a hand polishing operation. So we'll talk about what I got fit into these and I I'll, I'll be honest. I was, I was thinking I'd probably end up with a couple of them. Didn't think I'd end up with almost a full set, but the T200, there, there's an iron that underwent a, a bigger makeover than this one, but you made a lot of changes from the initial version of T200 to this one. Uh, a lot of it internal that, that you can't see, but just, can you walk me through, like, once you put the initial T200 out, what was that feedback like? What were the things that golfers were saying that they maybe wanted you to change? And, and how did you bring those changes and and implement them into this new T200? Yeah, one of the big things that, that was asked for was to improve the feel, right? So everybody in this category of T200, you know, they're usually a decent aspiring golfer, and they want, you know, a certain type of feel out of this iron. And that in itself was a challenge because this is an iron that has, you know, high COR. Anytime you go into a high COR design, feel is gonna be more of a challenge. And um, so there were several aspects that we looked at uh, to help improve the feel. Really, really looking at just about every part of the iron that we could. Um, if you look at the main chassis, right, there were, uh, it's what I would call there, there's a shelf that's that's used to attach the muscle plate to the back that was adjusted in terms of its width and thickness. There's uh, the max impact uh, core support bar. Its location was changed in two different axes, you know, um, moving it closer to center face and moving it closer to the face, which then in turn changed the thickness of the polymer core. Um, and really there's also adjustments that we made to the face thickness profile as well. So we have now what's called our variable thickness dual taper face, um, which again, those also contribute to feel as well. So all these parts put together um, have changed the feel for the better. And what, what was the feel that you were trying to achieve with, with this iron? Yeah, we're really looking to try and match our T100 feel. Right? Which That's, is really, yeah. I mean, crazy impressive when you think about it, because 
there's a lot more going on inside this T200. I mean, they, they all, you know, the 150, the 100, and the 200 all share, there's tungsten inside the head, but there's a lot more going on inside that T200 to be able to try and replicate Absolutely. More of a solid, a solid construction right. iron. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's our flagship iron, the T100. So, you know, we, we call it our North star for, for feel. So, you know, anytime we can move even closer and closer to that, the, we know the better we'll be. Profile wise between the previous and the current T200, how, if, if somebody was going to set them down next to each other, how, how close would they look in terms of profile? They're very, very similar in terms of profile. Offsets the same overall blade length and face heights are the same as well. So I don't think you'll see too much of a difference there. Um, even sole width is, is also pretty similar. Um, maybe some differences in what's visible on the back, right? Because the, the trailing edge of the sole is slightly straighter than it was in the previous one. So the center trailing edge was probably a touch more visible. So in this one, it's it's less visible, more parallel to the top line, which is overall a, a more pleasing aesthetic. We'll get into the one that that I would say impressed me the most. But one of the things that did impress me about the T two hundred is being able to set it down next to a a T one fifty or even the T one hundred. There's there's not a lot of differences in terms of in terms of the offset and and what you're seeing on the back side of that iron when you set it down and address in. I think that's that's really impressive that you're able to do that with again with an iron that there's a lot more going on to be able to still re maintain a very sleek profile but still pack in all that technology. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much goes into like trying to shape an iron and to and for this one in particular trying to make it so that, you know, 100, 150, 200 that, you know, as more mixed sets go into play that you're you're creating sets that blend more visually right and so um yeah we work really hard to to make those consistent the offsets also are consistent across those three so again that also adds to making it a more seamless transition between those mixed sets as well um and uh yeah that's all i would say about that Lofts are slightly stronger with the uh, with the new one. Just what yes. the half degree in the seven yeah. iron from yeah. thirty and a half, from thirty one to thirty and a half. Yeah. yeah, so from half to one degree in, in the longer end of the set. Yeah. What's I mean, people are going to notice that, and they're going to say, well, "Well, why, why, why go slightly stronger than the previous version?" What would well, be your answer to that? Yeah, it's it's interesting because one, we would say, "Hey, if you want to be in consideration, right, on the fitting tee, you know." you don't want to be too far off, right? If you've got somebody who's just looking at ball speed, right? So make sure you're, you're somewhere around there. But for me, whenever you're looking at loft, you have to be very careful in terms of distance control. And we probably wouldn't have done it if I wasn't able to say that this is still a more accurate iron at stronger loft. So, um, you know, it, it just affords them that a little bit of distance, but really, you know, half degree, it's not, that's not much. It's really not the focus of the iron. Um, the last one here is one I, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell the story. I, I don't, I don't care, but we're, we're on, we're on the fitting tee and I'm, and I'm looking at these irons and Chase, my fitter hands me this iron and I take a look at it and this is, I come to find this is the new T350. And it does not, it's supposed to be a game improvement iron, Marty. 
does not look like game improvement iron. I I I said it. It's it's the best looking game improvement iron that I've ever seen. It's not just because you're sitting across from me, but I've never seen a game improvement iron that has that much minimal offset where you and you also don't see a lot of mass behind the head. The top line is is thick enough to where if you're a mid handicapper, you're gonna feel comfortable with this iron. But it it's it feels scary close to that T two hundred, which then made me say, I mean, you could really find yourself into a set of a blended set of T two hundred and T three fifties. Now, you look at the previous version of T three hundred, and they couldn't be further from. I mean, they, they look they look like polar opposites. This where where did you come to this decision to really try and like you want to blend? The irons, obviously, but the T200 and the T350 look a lot alike, and that's that hasn't been the case with previous irons that you've had. Right, right. Well, and honestly, you know, the leadership team came to us and asked us, like, how would you make the 300 better, right? And we really like what we've come up with in the 200 in terms of its platform and technology, and we said that, hey, if we could use that same technology in the 350, it's going to be a significant change for the better in terms of its performance and its looks both, right? We, we certainly believe that. And I think that's really what you're responding to, both the look for one, now with its, you know, being a uh, hollow construction like the 200 um, and the way the industrial designers have designed the look of the back to be more of a family product in line with the other three products now. Um, and then on top of it, being able to use the other construction to get really a more significant performance improvement in, in this product category for us, um, it's a home run. You mentioned the industrial design team. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the important role that they play in making these irons look so clean. I mean, when you when you look at these, I mean, what are what are the little what are the little things that you were pointing them out to me, things that yeah. they've done to these irons where it's like, you wouldn't notice it if you just saw it on a rack and you were just kind of glancing at them. But right. there's a lot of really small improvements that they've made to the overall look. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at like T100 and T150, for instance, there is a small machined detail in the cavity. You know, and that that is the level of detail that I appreciate about what we're able to do um, because, you know, you, you could just uh, leave that blasted or leave it as a cast feature or a forged feature there and generally make it look close, but not as good, right? Mm -hmm. So we want it to look its best. So we use these processes and we try to find these processes to get the finishes on these, these little details. So there's a finish on this little machine detail in the 100 and 150, which I wish you guys could see. Yeah. <laughs> um, that... To me, like they're the little touches that make the difference, right? And and with T two hundred, you can also see that in the badging on that product, how it ties to those machine features in one hundred and one fifty, and even on three fifty as well. How the logo placement, the colors that are chosen for the logos, um, it all speaks to trying to create this cohesive family of products that um, I, I just think are better. So you had mentioned that when the original 
AP2 came out that it wasn't really designed with the tour player in mind. But then it, over time, it started to, to get a lot of tour feedback because tour players saw the benefits of it. Correct. And I know with T350, it's already in the bag. Peter Malnati put a long iron in. Does, does that, when you hear that a tour pro is using that, does it surprise you? Was, was, were you intending when this is iron was designed? I know it's a game improvement iron, but were you intending for this to be something that the tour pros were going to say, oh, wow, this is great at the top of the set. I want one of those. Or did that just sort of happen? I think it's kind of somewhere in between because we talk about it, um, at least on the iron team where these technologies that we put into these irons, um, are certainly beneficial for anybody, including a tour player. Um, and, and we test them at speeds to where even tour players can play them as well. However, with the size, shape, look, offset, you know, maybe you're, you're not thinking that a tour player is going to look at this product necessarily. But with the overall package that we put into this 350, it got everybody's wheels spinning like, hey, you know, this, this one maybe go in tour players back because mm. um, it's it's now got a more um, utility iron kind of look and feel to it like t200 um, versus the oversized cavity back that it was before right so now you uh, don't have crystal ball here at least not one that i can see um but how many more blended sets of T200 and T350 are you expecting to see versus like if somebody was going to try and blend the T200 and the T300 from the past? I would say a lot more, right? Because they were so different looking in the past that I believe that may have prevented some players, or a good number of players from going that way. Um, but now the designs are so uh, much more seamless in terms of their look. I think that that's going to be that player is going to be less hesitant to do that for sure and it's i should also point out it's built on a very similar chassis uh in internal construction to the t200 just right. you know slightly larger footprint absolutely and and it really has a similar profile to the previous gen as well but with what we've done to the feel and the overall back uh look of it now um it is. It's really a different iron with, with all the technologies that we've added to it from the 200 line. Well, I, I as I mentioned, I got fit. Can't wait to take him out on the golf course. And Marty, thank you again for the time and congratulations on another successful iron launch. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 201 of Fully Equipped. Thanks again to Marty for the time. As always, if you want more gear goodness, check out our social channels. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equip Golf on Instagram. I think we're actually also on threads now, but <laughs> I don't think we posted anything there. So go give us a follow. And we'll start posting some content over there as well. Thanks as all for listening. We'll see you around.